Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. We've had this mantra that one company can change an industry and one industry can change the world. Because if we can change what's possible and really change how heating and cooling is done and then the industry follows, then we could have an impact on the world given the amount of emissions that that come from the businesses that we're in. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Carrie Ruddy, the Senior Vice President, Chief Communications and Marketing Officer of Train Technologies, a $17 billion by sales company focused on heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and refrigeration systems. Hey, this is no ordinary HVAC company. They are 100% focused on helping solve the climate change crisis through innovative new products and services. Train CEO attributes their strong business results, and they just had a great quarter to, and I quote, a focused execution of our purpose-driven strategy. We'll talk about that. My guest, Carrie, first discovered her passion for communications at the nonprofit United Way after completing her bachelor's at Colgate University, majoring in English and philosophy. From there, she made stops in several industries, including financial services and grocery, before joining manufacturer Ingersoll Rand in 2014. In 2020, the tools business of Ingersoll Rand was spun off, and the remaining company was named Train Technologies. In January 2022, Carrie was named Chief Communications and Marketing Officer of Train. Our conversation was recorded at the Next Gen CMO Academy at Deloitte University during a Texas heat wave. It was 105 degrees. It's only fitting that Carrie joined me in the crisp air conditioning for her first ever podcast interview. This is my conversation with a CMO who loves to read and write. Here's Carrie. Welcome to the CMO Podcast, Carrie. You just arrived at Deloitte University. You're going to be speaking tomorrow in several sessions. Do you have anything prepared or are you going to be totally spontaneous? I have a little bit prepared, but nothing formal yeah. because it's uh, it's going to be more conversational. The session that I'm doing tomorrow is a roundtable. And so CMOs, aspiring CMOs, will be talking to me and a few other CMOs about career journey, the CMO seat, working with other business leaders in the C-suite, I think all kinds of topics. And so hard to prepare for that. Yeah. But I, I thought through a few you know, topics, stories, things that might be interesting or relevant that I'll I'll bring in. As you're meeting with the participants tomorrow, is there like a main message you'll share? Sort of what, when you're often asked about leadership, what's the one thing you normally talk about that's important to you? I think it's really around play your role. Hmm. You You are in your seat for a reason. And sometimes when you're um, transitioning to a new role or a bigger role, you know, you you still feel a little bit outside 
of the C-suite and, and maybe, um, you know, you're, you're still in a position, and I know this was true of myself, of feeling like you're consulting to the C-suite mm. versus part of. And so it's really important as you assume that role that you play the role and you think about what am I here to do and that you approach it as an enterprise leader, a business leader before the the kind of functional space that you're coming from. You're not, uh, you know, you're not consulting to the C-suite anymore from your role you are part of and you're there to lead the business. That's a mind shift change. Mm-hmm. It's a big mind yeah. shift. Yeah. yeah. Went through it myself. Mm-hmm. It's a good main message tomorrow. Yeah. I'll try to sit in. Okay, good. (laughs) Good. Now, you just arrived, and we're at Deloitte University outside Dallas, and we've all been to a lot of training centers in our career. This is the Super Bowl of training centers. It is. It is enormous. It is beautiful. It is set up for mind, body, and heart, and we're just talking about the fitness center before we, we went live here on the show. But I have to ask you, when you walk into a place like this, which is what? I don't know. 800,000 square feet. Do you check to see what their climate system is? Because <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, my first time here, they gave me a tour and they took me to the laundry room. Yep. And I have many years at PNG and I asked them what detergent they used. And it wasn't a Procter & Gamble brand. So we talked about that. I, I haven't had much time yet to investigate the the chiller plant, yeah. but what I can tell you is <laughs> I was thinking about that I was as I was walking through the lobby, and meanwhile, it's 103 degrees outside, feels like 112, yes, it does. and I was thinking, it's, you know, it can be costly to cool a, a facility of this size, uh, uses a lot of energy, creates a lot of emissions, so they need to be doing that as efficiently as they can. And I know a company that has some really I innovative uh, systems and solutions that could help Deloitte uh, manage that in a way that's good for the environment and good for the business. So you're not sure if they use your system? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Maybe we can make a sale together. I think so. Okay. Uh, that would be <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> they are adding on here with a another huge, a, a larger facility. Rooms. So I and more meeting rooms. It's the opportune time to bring yeah. us in if they haven't already. Well, we're having drinks after this, so maybe we can corner some of the senior Deloitte people and that you would and I be can excellent. See how we do as yep. a sales team. Yep. But it will be fun. Now we have. We have something in common. I don't know if you're aware of that, but we're both liberal arts graduates from schools in the Northeast. You went to Colgate. I went to Franklin and Marshall. So when you were back in your days at Colgate, did you have any idea you'd end up in business? Your first job, I think, was a nonprofit, right? It was, yes. I had no idea, really, what I was going to do. And when I was in undergrad, I took courses that inspired me and that I I loved. So I wound up with a double major in English and philosophy. Now, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> there's, you know, there's Be a not, CMO. <laughs> apparently. So um, it took me a little while to, to find my path. But what I found was that that educational background, it was, you know, it emphasized critical thinking, problem solving, listening to other opinions, forming my own, writing. Mm-hmm. So that is what led me to my first role, which, as you said, was with a nonprofit. I worked with a United Way organization doing communications and marketing. So that was how I it started. What was your most meaningful and memorable course back at Colgate as you studied English and philosophy? It was, you know, it's been a long time, but I loved, I took a course called Philosophy of Religion, 
And that was really cool. Just thinking through, you know, learning about different um, religious faiths, backgrounds, and and thinking through some of the philosophical uh, reasoning behind some of these and and how they intersect. Uh, that was a great course. So yeah, I, I took a number of things that were really interesting, mm -hmm. but me too. they they didn't necessarily pre prepare me for business. Right. So that was something that came later. Yeah. Did you have a dream back then about the kind of thing you wanted to do with your life? Or not? I just wanted to do something that was fulfilling and meaningful, allowed me to be challenged, allow, allowed me to create. You know, I, I loved I loved writing. I loved, uh, you know, thinking. I, I uh, also did a lot of um, music. And so I, you know, I, I really wanted to do something that allowed me to be in that creative space and then apply it for something that would, you know, be meaningful. Well, you ended up in a good spot for creativity and meaningfulness. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to keep continue talking about your career because you started at United Way and then you went, you did uh, two experiences in banking, mm -hmm. at least to Wachovia and Bank of America, grocery mm -hmm. retail mm -hmm. with Food Lion, Del Hayes, which I know that for pretty well, and then industrial products and services. Yep. So what's the red thread in that or how did you make the decisions to you know, jump around industries? Was it a... Mm -hmm. A leader? Was it a, just a curiosity to try something different? Was it a promotion? I mean, what? How? Take us back to sure. your, your thought process as you made those shifts. Yeah, after I left United Way, I, I made the move to uh, the financial services industry, and it was relationships, people that that got me there. I had worked with uh, a few executives in in financial services as uh, who were volunteers, mm -hmm. and that's how I made those those connections that led me to um, corporate communications at what was then First Union, became Wachovia, became Wells Fargo. Yeah, <laughs> so right. I loved my role there. I you know I got to experience so much you know merger and acquisition activity what it meant to, you know, launch a a new brand when when First Union became Wachovia. We we changed the Wachovia brand so it wasn't exactly the same as the old Wachovia. Worked on the culture, how to engage our our people. There was just a lot of learning there. And and I think as I as I transitioned to different roles and and industries, it was that love for how do we reach different audiences with different messages? How do we engage them? How do we inspire them? How do we move them to some sort of action? And and whether that's, you know, you want someone to come work for you, you want somebody to invest in the company, you want somebody mm -hmm. to be a partner or customer of the company. And so that was what really the red thread was. I, I'll tell you, when I moved to the grocery slash retail industry, it was kind of right at the height of the financial crisis. And so Wachovia had competing bids on the table from two banks, Citigroup and Wells. It was a crazy time. It was very um, stressful in terms of what was going to happen. But at the same time, we were having to communicate about what was happening. So it was an interesting place to be. And so I, I actually started looking for roles because I wasn't sure what would happen mm -hmm. with the merger and and wound up at with the the role at Del Hayes. That role was really interesting. I learned a lot, but I didn't stay for too long. I found out grocery wasn't for wasn't. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Marketing and groceries a tough function. It is tough. You it's know, not it's, where the action usually is. It's very kind of 
it's a it's a tough business. It's yeah. it's low margin. It's very cost sensitive. It's difficult. I I found in in that industry also most people t- grew up in the industry, so there were a few um, people who had come in from the outside like me. So that made it a little more difficult to create the kind of impact that I wanted to create. And and so I ultimately moved to Bank of America and was there, um, had a just a great experience there, and then was recruited to join Ingersoll Rand, which became Train Technologies, where I am today, by a former leader of mine. So that's how I made the switch. Well, wonderful career path, right? Yeah. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. But you have your, you know, we have a lot of CMOs in the show. You have an unusual background for a mm-hmm. CMO. You've come, up, you've come up through comms, public relations, external and internal. You've done a lot on internal communications mm-hmm. in your career. So could you speak a bit about how that's helped you be a successful CMO? What about that career path, that upbringing, those skills are serving you very well. And is there any any area where you did not feel prepared mm-hmm. when you stepped into the, you know, the CMO role? Well, I would say in the, in my, my role is, is really CCMO today. Yeah. So I, I am both kind of chief communications, chief marketing officer, and there are things I'm learning every day. Because I don't have, you know, the traditional marketing background that you may see in other CMOs. I do think the the comms background has prepared me in, in unique ways. I think with communications, reputation management is always such a huge focus. And so there's a, a great sensitivity to how different messages or initiatives are going to land on different audiences comms tends to be just very sensitive to that and and does a lot of work in understanding how different uh, things resonate with different audiences and and having that broad audience view. So it's not just one set of, you know, a customer audience that you're focused on, but it's employees, it's investors, it's partners. And so having that broad stakeholder view and in creating value with all of those stakeholders is something that that I think I brought to the role. The other way that communications prepared me is that comms can often be the connector in an organization, the glue. Communications works with a variety of different functions and business leaders and, and pulls different pieces together. And so I think now I approach the role as the chief communications and marketing officer as an integrator. So I'm looking at how do I integrate the the functions that are in my purview and how do I create you know more integration where it, it may not exist uh, today as, as strong as it could. So for example, in my function, I have communications, marketing, government relations, and corporate citizenship. And I think there's just great value to be gained by bringing those externally focused organizations together to figure out how can we really pull on all of our strengths 
to position the company with all of our different audiences. So I think that's that's a really valuable aspect of, of the role. As the new CCMO, and, and we haven't had that position in the C-suite before now, the other thing I'm doing is looking at how do we better integrate marketing itself? Because what we have today is an enterprise marketing team that's part of my group, and then teams in each business unit that lead marketing. But I think there's a lot of opportunity to build and scale capabilities a little bit differently mm-hmm. and look at opportunities to bring certain communities of practice together, certain capabilities together, while still retaining the, the marketing teams in the business that are close to customers, close to sales, close to product management. That's an issue many CMOs wrestle with and one of the most frequently wrestled with issues, I'd have to say, and one I wrestled with as well in, at P&G. How do you go about that to make it a win-win? Because it's you have to pick very carefully, right? The corporate capabilities you want to build, and people need to feel ownership for that and a belief in it. Because sometimes they give up something, so it needs a lot of EQ. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about it? I mean, you're in the middle of it, right? So, I am. So what are you learning as you ask those questions and pull those teams together? Yep. Well, I, I think. The first thing I would say is, is I'm working really closely with the different presidents that lead each business unit, as well as the people who lead marketing within those business units to really understand where they need help, where maybe they you know, don't feel like our, our marketing capabilities are strong enough, mm-hmm. things that maybe they you know don't even want to own that that could be better served you know in in terms of could be, serve them better if they didn't have to own mm-hmm. it I, so i think there's a little bit of that it's also understanding you know from from their perspective what is really unique to the business and the markets that we serve so what really needs to be very unique very very close to you know our sales teams our product management teams versus what are capabilities that might be stronger if we can put them together Uh, I think what that could do also is create different sorts of career paths for marketers, particularly marketers that specialize in certain areas versus today with it being, you know, quite decentralized. Sometimes it can be hard to understand what what your path is. So that's something that I'd like to drive as well is so we can attract the best talent, you know, the best marketers who who really want to come work for for us and and for a company that has a a great purpose driven strategy. We'll talk about that in a minute. Using I was your CEO's you words. I read your latest <laughs> earnings release, and I love yep, what your CEO okay. said, and we're going to talk about that. Great. Is there any capability you'd underscore as super critical for trained technologists as you look forward that you'd be okay to share? I'll talk about a couple of things. As, as we look ahead, you know, traditionally, we've been a, a very strong equipment company. We have, you know, innovation that leads the industry our quality and reliability and efficiency is is just top notch but we also have a really strong services business and we have you know controls and ai and and data oriented and software oriented solutions that can help our customers in new and and growing ways as mm-hmm. we go forward so you think about you know a customer that wants to decarbonize their operations and how they want to manage energy across a large footprint we can help with all of those things 
But but that doesn't come from just equipment. That also comes from services, controls, et cetera. And so as we think about marketing, we have to market in a bit of a different way than we have traditionally. And so coming from a company that is an industrial manufacturing company, we have you know a lot of people that are very technical, highly technical engineers, PhDs, you know, all the people that are very, very good at, at what they do and at creating. And, but we, I think in the past, we've, we've been caught in the trap of kind of using the products and features and the technical aspects in our marketing. And now because of the way we're starting to serve customers in, in different ways, we need to be much more solutions and outcome fo- focused in the marketing. So I think that's something that we're looking at is, is how can we continue to be more solution oriented in our marketing, mm-hmm. add more of a human element to, to something that in the past might've been heavy metal yeah, yeah. and use insights to really drive our marketing plans to better understand, you know, what matters to customers, how are they making those decisions, and then making sure that we're kind of meeting them at critical moments along the way. That's different work, different it capabilities, is. It is. different approaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good for you. It is. Well, so, you have to come back on the show in two years. Tell us. Yeah, we'll see. Going. We'll see where we are. There's a lot, a lot of opportunity ahead. Yeah. Now, you you also have you have a bit of an unusual way you got to CMO, but you've had a really unusual experience in your career over the last couple of years. You joined Ingersoll Rand in 2014 as director of employee engagement. Then years later, the company split in 2020. And I was on the board of Motorola when we split that company. And it was really hard. It was gut-wrenching, hard for employees, the board, investors, everyone. And communication was challenging. And I I think we didn't handle it as well as we could. So you've been in the middle of this split. You've been overseeing communication inside and outside the company. And you probably hadn't had an experience like that before. So I'd like you to talk about how that developed you as a leader going through that experience who did you look for to for guidance or inspiration? Because probably no one in your company had been through that. So speak a bit about that. It's a very special experience. It it was a terrific experience. It was it was hard, but it was so exciting. And I I'm thrilled with where we are today. So we announced the transaction in 2019. And what we were doing is uh, separating the industrial portion of our business and actually merging it with another company through a transaction called a reverse Morris Trust. Mm -hmm. And we were retaining the climate innovation pieces of our business that that make up uh, who we are today. And the reason for that is because um, the street valued the climate businesses much higher. And we felt that by separating the industrial portion of the company, you know, we would be able to achieve a stronger multiple and the industrial businesses would be more successful if we could merge them with with a existing public company that had the infrastructure, but also could give them the the size and scale to compete. So that was what we did. And so we announced the separation in April of 2019. And we closed the transaction in March of 2020, the 1st of March, which- First month of COVID. Ironically was right before, yeah, 
right as COVID yeah. was was raining down on us. Yeah. So crazy times. But the what was so interesting, uh, there were many interesting things, but as we announced the transaction, we had to think about how to sell it to the street, how to support our customers in terms of what was changing, what was not changing, support our employees. And and that was difficult because we we actually had to, you know, work out who goes with industrial and who stays with train technologies. And um, so that was an interesting um, part of the work, particularly for corporate groups where that had shared resources. You know, the, the people supporting the industrial businesses, it was a little more clear. But for some of the corporate groups, we had to figure out how to separate. And so there was there was a lot that that went into that. And then at the same time, we were preparing to relaunch the company under a new parent brand. So Train Technologies was our new brand. And we wound up announcing the name and the leadership structure in December of 2019. But we kind of withheld the the visual identity and, and kind of some of the more exciting pieces of, of the brand until day one because we wanted to make a big splash. So um, that's that's how we we handled the uh, timing of the communication. Did you ring the bell? Well, we were all slated to ring the bell in March and it was canceled due because to COVID. COVID. Yes. So we did not ring the bell. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow, that's we sad. had to. It was sad. We had to find it's quite an event when you do different that. ways to, yeah, to to activate the brand, kind of really launch the company. And it was such a strange time when, you know, everybody was very concerned about COVID and health, and uh, people were working from home, and it was it was a difficult uh, difficult time. How did you manage through that? I mean, there wasn't a precedent. I guess there's other companies that split, but there aren't many. Mm-hmm. What guided you? I mean, what did you? How did you decide what your priorities were? What you would focus on? How, what your message would be to your people? I think one thing that's core to to our company is culture and people. It's a great place to work. We take a lot of care for for our our people. So that was always at the forefront. We we wanted to make sure that we were doing right by by everybody. The people who went with the industrial. Um, and the people who were were staying and and were going to be part of our day one um, celebration and and the new company. So we were, I think, care for people was first and foremost. And then as we were looking ahead to the the launch of Train Technologies, we started thinking about it as a 150 year old startup. We we thought, you know, we've got this great history as a company which you know allows us to gives us a lot of advantage but we have this you know once in a lifetime opportunity to reset and and really take a a new page and think through everything and and so we did and i think that has been a big reason for the company's success is that as we were developing the brand strategy it was the core brand idea was all around our purpose, which we worked on and and the purpose is to boldly challenge what's possible for a sustainable world. 
And for us, that that means, you know, pushing the boundaries on innovation, on partnership, on solutions, so we can make an impact and and create a, a better world. And so once we had that core brand idea, I feel like th- it it gave us what we needed to pull that through everything that we did. And and that's how how we approached, you know, all of our brand activation and, and company launch from the you know employee communications to the external communications to how how our marketing has uh, transitioned. So I think that was really central to um, everything that that we did. As I was looking into your company in preparation for this, I mean, I was thought, oh, they're a HVAC company, heating, air cooling, that sort of thing. And I looked on your site. And, you know, and it's felt like a very, very different company and vibe than what I had expected. And so could you take us through a little bit of how you arrived at that renewing of the company and that purpose, which is not just a statement, right? It's the way you do business. So could you take us back and how your leadership team arrived at it, what you learned in doing that? How did you know that was the right one for you, respecting your past and looking into the future? At the time... Uh, I was leading corporate communications, and I had a partner in crime, um, Portia Mount, who was leading our corporate marketing group. Portia is now CMO for Top Coder, actually, and um, she's a very talented marketer also. And so we worked hand-in-hand on the brand strategy and the communication strategy and the launch strategy. We had pulled together a team of, you know, senior leaders, uh, including our CEO, our chief operating officer, several of the business leaders, where, you know, we we were looking at the brand strategy, the name of the company, um, which we had to select, and the the idea of purpose. And, and we knew we had been focused on sustainability for a long time. So we, as Ingersoll Rand, had had a, a focus on sustainability. We had launched some climate commitments uh, as early as 2014, which were all about reducing emissions in our own operations as well as our customer footprint. So we already had a really strong start on sustainability. So we knew that that would come into our purpose. We just didn't know exactly how. And so we brought in an agency. Uh, we actually worked with Landor and Fitch, and they helped us as we started to evaluate different brand identities and how purpose would would fit into that. And we had a lot of input from the leadership of the company, the business leaders, in terms of finding the thing that felt like us, but also felt like a stretch. We wanted it to be ambitious and bold, but yet still true to who we are and, and the impact that we can make uh, with with what we do every day. So that's how we landed on the challenge possible brand idea. And then from there, everything kind of expanded. And, and so we involved our employees actually in developing a new set of what we call leadership principles, which mm-hmm. are really our, like our values. Yeah. But we did that through a series of, we did a survey with all employees so everyone could have a voice in. We did focus groups. And then we took um, kind of key influencers from our focus groups and brought them in to co-create the leadership principles. 
And we wound up with a really cool set of, of principles that we use to really guide how we work. And there are things like dare to do things differently, work today for a sustainable tomorrow, make better happen. And so they just are the, the principles that we want to live by. But our, our people had a hand in putting those together. And so they really felt true to who we are and who we want to be as this new company. Well, it seems to be working, right? Your latest earnings mm -hmm. were very strong. I watched your CEO and Jim Cramer, who's a great guy, but he can be tough. Yep. And they had a terrific conversation. I mean, your earnings were, I mean, I think your volume was up about 12% or so on a pretty big base. And your CEO, is, I'm a, this is a quote, he said, the results are due to a focused execution of our purpose-driven strategy, which we're already talking about. So here's a brand that's been renewed, split, renewed, kind of repurposed. You engage your employees. It's working. It's driving the top and bottom line. A lot of companies would love to be in your spot. And purpose, we talk about purpose a lot on this show, but not everyone has the full commitment that your company has. So what lessons, what tips would you have for your colleagues listening to create a brand that is genuinely driven by purpose and is impacting customers, employees, communities at large to grow your top line and bottom line? I think purpose has to be connected to what we do every day for our customers. And so for us, 15% of the world's emissions come from heating and cooling buildings. And another 10% come from food waste. And we have a business that does uh, transport refrigeration. Mm -hmm. So does a lot of food and uh, drug transportation and storage. And so we felt that through our businesses and the climate innovation that, that we do, we had the opportunity to dramatically reduce emissions. And we've had this mantra that one company can change an industry and one industry can change the world. Because if we can change what's possible and really change how heating and cooling is done, then and then the industry follows, then we could have an impact on the world given the amount of emissions that, that come from the businesses that we're in. So that's what we're trying to do. And, and that is a lofty goal, but it's also something that our people are out doing every day with our customers. So it's, it's lofty, but it's tangible, mm -hmm. which for me makes it more real. So that's the advice I would give is that it's got to be something that people can connect to and that they feel like they're contributing to. And, and I think we found that, that secret formula that is, is working really well. Now, I will say we do see our competitors coming along and, and you know, saying very similar things to what we have been saying for quite some time, very similar messaging. But, you know, on one hand, it pushes us to continue to think through how do we keep differentiating? How do we keep pushing further faster? And it also shows that we do have the potential to change the industry. So that could have a, a real impact, and, and that gets people excited every day. How do you know? I guess this is very measurable, right? Your purpose. That's another yeah. piece. You know if you're making progress, right? Because you can measure mm -hmm. the kinds of things that we're talking about as outputs. Yeah, and, and we, we measure it in a few different ways. We've set some, some really 
ambitious emissions goals, mm-hmm. and uh, both for our own operations, where we intend to be carbon neutral by 2030, but also for uh, the products and services that we put into the world, uh, working with our customers, our, our goal is to save a gigaton of emissions by 2030 through our products and services. A gigaton is pretty big. It's about 2% of the world's emissions today. Yeah. is a gigaton. Uh, that's that's what it would equate to. So um, it's a big challenge, but we have a glide path and we set annual goals and we're measuring them and we're, we're, we're reporting on them externally. And uh, so we're holding ourselves accountable to to the big goals. And it's, you know, kind of tangible evidence of, of that purpose in action. The other thing we do is, you know, we talk to our own uh, people about, um, purpose and you know how they feel about the company as a workplace and and we get great feedback from our people through our annual engagement survey around purpose and their commitment and belief in our purpose. You seem to love your job. I do love my job. It's a great job. And uh, there's so much more to learn. And and so we talked a little bit about you know coming from a comms background and and now coming uh, into the marketing space as well. And so for me, I feel like I'm learning a lot from the marketers and the businesses. And marketing has a much more commercial component. And so how can we drive value? How can we generate demand? And so getting deeper into that is is really exciting. And I think that we have lots of opportunity. That's a good segue into my next question. We, we're here at Deloitte University. There's 50 or 60 participants that are emerging CMOs. They're well surveyed before they get here about what's on their mind, what they want to learn about. And there were two issues that that were interesting, I think, for you to comment on that came from the participants. And one is they're all they all want to up-level their comms and they want to increase marketing's value to the company and demonstrate that. It's no surprise that's on their mind, but you seem to be doing that pretty well. So any advice, any counsel for our participants and our listeners about up-leveling comms and increasing marketing's value to the enterprise? Well, we're working on that too. And uh, so I'll give you some thoughts, but I'll also take any tips from the people here at at Deloitte University. But I I think demonstrating the value of marketing to the business is is critical and, and it can be hard to do. And so I think... You know, there's a couple of things that that we're working on. You know, one is making sure that marketing is is really connected to other functions within the, within the business, sales, product management, and really hand in hand understanding what the goals are, what the business objectives are, how how marketing can help drive that. And you know, measurement is always something that I think we're working on and, and trying to get better at. But you know, being able to measure success is is critical. And so finding those projects that are containable, that that aren't maybe the long-term brand awareness, but mm-hmm. but really, you know, generating demand with a particular customer vertical, uh, you know, with a particular product or service, you know, taking something that feels containable and then measuring that is I think really useful because then as you start to show uh, success in in small bites, then that, that hopefully creates a pull. And I'd rather there be a pull than than a push because I think, you know, we can't just say, you know, marketing needs a seat at the table, marketing needs to be there, marketing needs more investment. 
we have to show what we can do, what we bring to the table, what, what kind of insights are we bringing, what kind of learnings are we bringing, you know, what what are we telling sales and, and business leaders that they don't know about our customer? And then how are we showing them the the type of results that we can we can drive? Their second question, this is an interesting one. So we have a number of B2B. I mean, you're B2B and B2C, but primarily yep. B2B, right? Yes. So and we have we have many in the in the program here who are B2B, how to execute more meaningful personalization for a B2B audience? And how do you know you're on the right track on that? So personalization obviously is what is a big trend, right? And there's pros and cons to that. So I think the word meaningful is really good. I mean, as consumers, when I get something that's personalized that's not meaningful, I'm, I don't like it. Right. So how, do you, how are you thinking about that at Train Technologies? That's a tough one. We're we're thinking about it too. I I think you know all of marketing is getting more and more consumerized yeah. and and personal. And with you know with everything that's happening in the digital space, there's there's so much opportunity to continue to to make it personal. Mm-hmm. I you know and I think we can learn from you know what our our business in the residential space is doing to to be more more personal to to their customers and and drive offers and and content that's that's very relevant. I think there's there's more we can do on the B2B side for sure and and I think it's going to come through really strong data and insights to really understand the customer and uh, the customer needs. And for us in B2B, it's also that the the sub-customer, if you will. So we might be looking at a particular vertical like a, you know, healthcare or high tech, but within that, who is the customer? And so for us, you know, we may have a number of different customers that are involved in purchase decisions in the commercial space, like engineers, design architects, facility managers, owners and operators, and now more and more members of the C-suite, like chief sustainability officers, chief operations officers, all involved in in those types of purchase decisions for B2B in terms of climate innovation, decarbonization. And so for us, it's really understanding how has that buying journey changed from what might have been you know, HVAC 10 years ago mm-hmm. to what is now, how do I decarbonize our operations, which is a bit of a different conversation. And so how is the conversation changing? How are the players changing? And then how are we feeding them relevant content or relevant, uh, you know, offer type information at the, at the right time in that journey? So we're, we're still working on that, but, yeah, but I think a, that's where, it, where it's going. the importance of the sale, but it's also more complicated. It is. Yeah, more stakeholders. It is more, yeah, more stakeholders. Than it, exactly, yes. And, and I think that's where marketing has the opportunity to play a bigger role because 10 years ago, it was probably a lot more sales driven because we knew who the customer was. And often there was a relationship there. There, you know, it was a bit more direct. And now with with so many uh, other influencers involved in that journey, there's an opportunity for marketing to really supplement our sales team with different types of, of content or engagement. We're going to flip to the creative brief now. And I want to start with what's the most meaningful initiative or campaign that you've worked on in your career? The one that kind of stands out as with a lot of pride or 
growth for you as you worked on it? Is it this merger or this two company process? I was going to say it, it really has to be the the launch of yeah. of train technologies as a company and all that went with that in terms of how we were communicating our new purpose, our new value proposition with all of our stakeholders. That was just such a an awesome thing to work on. It was a relatively short period of time that we had to execute in. So it was it was such a challenge, but was you know, so memorable and and so much that I learned through that process. That was followed not too long after by our CEO transition. So we had a, a CEO who was highly tenured. And so as he retired, uh, our chief operating officer was named uh, CEO and ultimately chair and CEO. And so, you know, that gave me the opportunity to, you know, work with both leaders on that transition and how we made that transition happen in a way that was, you know, seamless and uh, mm -hmm. and felt good to our stakeholders and and you know that people felt like the company was in good hands. It was it was really important. So that was a, a an exciting challenge as well, and uh, gave me the opportunity to work with our current chair and CEO Dave Regnery very closely. And uh, now I, I report to Dave, so I have the opportunity to work with him all the time. You're a very good communicator. Obviously, it's your background. So what counsel would you have for our listeners to improve their personal executive communication skills? I would say in, in terms of executive communication skills, that preparation is important. You, As you're going into a meeting with executives, it's good to know... Uh, have the end in mind. Know, know what, what are the outcomes that you want to achieve? What are the main messages that you want to put on the table? Because often I think we can get caught up in you know, a lot of data, a lot of information. There's a lot of backstory. There's a lot of input. So it's important to have in your mind that crisp outcome that you're looking for. And, and so I think that's uh, always helped me I, I would say also, you know, it, business is relational. And so having those relationships ahead of the meeting and, you know, sometimes we'll say it's kind of like lining up your votes before the mm -hmm. meeting. If, if you're, you know, connecting with people one off, getting their advice, that's going to help you when you're in the room. I love that. We got trained at P&G early about the message triangle. You know, your main <laughs> message in the corner yep. and then the three supporting points and always bring it back to that. Yep. That's right. Still works. That's right. Still yeah. good discipline. What do you consider your real superpower, or what? Are you, what are you frequently told that's your superpower? I'd say two things. The first is that people tell me that I'm calm and collected. So when when things get hectic or there's a, you know, something that has bubbled up that's you know a an issue, I tend to keep a level head. And, and that has always served me well. So I think, and from a, you know, a partner standpoint, internally, I think that helps build people's confidence. If you can kind of keep your cool, you, you know, keep things moving forward. And so that has always been a strength for me. I think the other thing is just that at heart, I'm a, I'm a words person. I'm a I'm a writer. I I love to message. So, you know, even today I'll I'll have to force myself not to 
want to edit everything because I do want to edit everything. Well, you can't edit this podcast. That's ours. <laughs> Darn, because I would love to do that. <laughs> it doesn't need much editing, to be clear. So what are you working on as a leader? I think I am leaning into marketing because yeah. that's obviously you know where I don't have as much um, background. So I'm learning everything I can. I'm working on, as I, I had mentioned, how we can drive better integration so we can, you know, learn from each other and and make sure that we're collaborating in the right ways across different teams, which is is really important to me. I'm also focused on, you know, how do I ensure that that I'm developing myself as as a leader and, you know, for me and and coming from more of the comms background, I've always been more comfortable behind the scenes. I, I like to position other people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so- It's a strength as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm focused on, you know, sometimes I need to be out front. And, uh, you know, in this role, you know, I need to be out front with the, you know, the people in our organization who are comms and marketers. I need to be out front with our business leaders. I need to be out front with our executive uh, leadership team. And then as I think about, you know, where I need to be externally so I can have formed the right networks, um, I'm thinking about that as well. What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young girl? Well, for some strange reason, what, what has popped into my head is the, the Kool-Aid guy. <laughs> remember the Kool-Aid guy? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> the big I'm picture seeing, guy, right? Yeah, I'm seeing those commercials in my head right now. <laughs> the the Kool-Aid guy. Yeah. <laughs> Did you drink Kool-Aid or just the commercials? Yeah. My my mom didn't want us to have so much sugar. Yeah. So that's probably why it's standing out in my head because you I wanted only it and you couldn't have it. I only got to have it at, at like a friend's house or a very yeah. special occasion. I wasn't allowed to have Kool-Aid. Desire, right? The heart of all brand building. What are the rituals you have to keep yourself creative? And you said earlier you love to make things, you love to write. What are your mm -hmm. rituals to stay creative and inspired and fresh? I do a lot with my family. I have two girls that are 15 and 20, and my partner Eric and I have been together for 24 years. We just celebrated 24 years. Wow. So we, I, I spend a lot of time with family. I play the piano. I read a lot. Um, reading is kind of my my love and my um, can be my escape when I need an escape. And I, I stay connected to... Uh, community. And so one thing that my team and I do is we volunteer together every, you know, every few months we'll, we'll go do a project and, uh, you know, try to get out in the community, give something back and just put a little perspective around, you know, life. And so those are the things that I do to try to stay grounded. Who's been the most inspiring person in your life? I would say... My mom, my mom was a school teacher and then later in life and later in her career, she wound up moving into the nonprofit world and became the, the president of a nonprofit that supported children of trauma and wound up just, you know, doing incredible things for children and families who really needed support. And and what was interesting to me is that she wound up being a terrific public speaker. 
She went to Raleigh and and was involved in policy for education. She did a merger of uh, with a couple nonprofits to expand uh, her the agency to go statewide um, and serve more children more efficiently. And so I saw her later in her career become a businesswoman, really, but but one that was making such a meaningful impact. And it was it was really inspiring to see her take that step after raising four kids and, you know, being a school teacher for most of her career. What'd she think about your career? She's very proud of me, I would say, um, but also likes to give me um, advice and a lecture now and again. What's her most common piece of advice? Probably to breathe and remember to (laughs) focus on on myself and you know wellness and you know don't it's a good thing for a mom to remind a kid about yep but she gives great advice too if i have a a a, an issue um she she always has good advice that's a great mom she is thank you carrie this is a marvelous discussion thank you it's been fun thanks for having me absolutely enjoyed it and i love your purpose keep at it It's important for the world. Thank you. In researching you and your company, I just got very inspired by what you're doing. So I'm going to follow you more closely now. Good. Yeah, we're excited to do more. So, yeah, come along. That was my conversation with Carrie Ruddy. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. The first one is be people-focused. Carrie went through a really difficult split. Her company split. And when you do that, it's complicated, it's technical. Everyone's wondering about what their role is in these new companies. Their culture is extremely people-focused. They focused on what the roles would be for each person in the company, and the split has gone exceptionally well. Second takeaway, if you want to be a better communicator, and Carrie is a great communicator, two things to think about. Be prepared and think of the end in mind. What are the outcomes you want in a meeting or at the end of your communication? She's very disciplined going into a meeting and preparing for the meeting in terms of her key messages and what the outcome, the desired outcome is. And last takeaway, this was a great session on purpose. And I love the thought that a great purpose can change a company and one company can change an industry and an industry can change the world. This is a company that's genuinely purpose-driven, From the CEO down, the purpose is meaningful, it relates to their products, and it is working to grow their business. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.